Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. Financial advice is a relationship business, and central to building relationships is gratitude and gifts. Do you have a gifting strategy, or do you give the same gifts to everyone at the end of the year like everyone else? How can you plan what, when, and how to give to have real impact on the relationships you have with clients, prospects, and centers of influence? Our guest on this episode, John Rulin, founder of Rulin Group. John spends more than $400,000 a year on gifts to his own clients. And besides being in the very small category of gifting consultants, he may be the only one who deliberately never gives anything after Thanksgiving. John is one of the foremost experts at giving gifts, and his clients include major league sports teams, household consumer brands, as well as large financial institutions. He advocates a specific proven process for making gift giving an effective expression of gratitude that has the side benefit of creating real quantifiable results. John is also the author of Giftology, the art and science of using gifts to cut through the noise, increase referrals, and strengthen client retention. On this episode, we talk with John about the biggest mistake business owners make in giving gifts. We talk about the principles of gift giving and what, how, and when to give, and why you should have a calendar of when you give gifts to specific clients. We even address the SEC limitations on giving, but a gift doesn't have to be expensive to make a real impact. And listen through to the end, where we talk with John to get a link where you can download a list of the 10 biggest mistakes to avoid in giving gifts. The advice John gives in this episode can have a dramatic impact on your relationships with clients, prospects, and centers of influence, and of course, how actively they all refer. It's an amazing conversation that will probably change your perspective on something you're already doing and making a big investment in, and make it vastly more effective. Please enjoy our conversation with John Rulin. So, John Rulin, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So, you have a wonderful new book out, and we want to ask you all about uh, the book and the principles in it. But, but let's set this up for folks. Let's give them some background. So, tell us a little bit about the Rulin Group and what you guys do. Yeah, so it's uh, the ruling group's been around for about eighteen years. It started when I was in college, uh, desperate to pay for med school. Uh, I went and interned with Cutco Knife uh, Knives, the uh, the cutlery company that's had about a million and a half college kids and other people work with it. And um, I really was fortunate because I was dating a girl at the time. Her dad was an attorney, and he was a rainmaker. He was a referral machine. And uh. one of the re- one of the reasons is is he was always giving. He was the most generous person. One of the, probably top. 10 that I've ever met in my life. And so he would find deals on noodles and buy like literally a, a semi load of noodles for everybody at church the next Sunday. And I'm like, Paul, that was 20 <laughs> grand. Why would you do that? Are you insane? And he's like, that's just, I love the smiles. I love to love on people. And, uh, and so I pitched him the idea of giving away Cutco pocket knives to all of his clients who are men. They're like, you know, CEOs of financial advisor firms and insurance companies, lumber yards. And he changed my life forever when he said, John, I want to get, can I order a hundred of the parry knives engraved. I'm like, you want to give a bunch of grown men a kitchen tool? Are you are, like, that's weird. <laughs> and uh, he said, John, in 40 years in business, the reason I have referrals coming out of my ears and I have people that are actively loyal that are, that are referring me and going out of their way to advocate for me is I found that if you take care of the family, everything else in business seems to take care of itself. So that was the lightning bolt moment when I decided med school was going to get put on hold. And I built a whole company around using gifts and gratitude and not swag and trinkets and crappy stuff, but real 
thoughtful gifts like the knives, even to this day, 18 years later, our number one selling gift, people are like, are you still doing the stupid knife thing? And I'm like, we sell millions of dollars in knives. And, that's, and the re- that's yeah, and so we built this business around the idea of helping people. You know, there's a lot of companies that'll tell you what to do. There's very few companies that'll actually help do it for you. And so the ruling group at a core level is helping people, leaders, sales reps, advisors, you name it, be very strategic and very proactive about how they use gifting to drive, in some cases, 100x ROI and 100x referrals back to them by using gifting as a really strategic tool. And so that's the core of the business. That's that's fascinating. And and so you've sort of so that so. You know, we wanted to ask you about the the the, the role that that gifts play in, in that relationship, and I, I I think you've really answered that. Can you um, tell us some of the principles that make for a good gift? Yeah, well, I think that uh, what's what's interesting is that most people they're like, oh yeah, I'm a good gift giver, and you know, when you start to talk to them, like one of the things that that most people do in corporate America, whether you're a half million dollar company or whether you're a twenty billion dollar company like Google, is that most people have confused what a gift is. A gift by its very nature is recipient focused. And yet in corporate America, we've tried to blend a marketing tool and a, a promo, a swag item and can, you know, and try to blend that as a gift. And it's not. Yeah. When you put your logo on a product, whether it's a trinket from China or whether it's a Tiffany's vase or whether it's a Cutco knife, you make the gift about yourself. Yeah. And when you're gifting to affluent people and there's a logo on it, guess what? The likelihood of them keeping that and using that on a frequent basis in front of other people that are potential referral opportunities goes to next to zero. Right. Because when you're an affluent person, especially like me, my wife, my wife is never going to put something out that has some corporate logo on it. That's tacky. That's trinkety. That's cheesy. And so a lot of the gifts that we do, whether it's a knife, whether it's a handmade leather journal, you know, that costs a couple hundred dollars, whatever it is, I won't send out a gift. Like my personal gifting budget this year, just for John Rulin is about 400 grand. I don't send one gift out that has ruling group on it or giftology. And people are like, but you're, but you're ruining a marketing opportunity. And I'm like, no, I'm not. If I give a right. Rolex to you, <laughs> yeah. do I have to put my logo on it for you to remember where it came from? No way. Like if you put make the gift about the recipient, put their name on it, their family name on it, the personalization is a small detail that most people when they're giving gifts are like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just make it generic. Oh, it doesn't matter. Throw my logo on it. And what they don't realize is that oftentimes the little details around the gift are just as important as the item itself. It takes it from being just something showing up from Amazon, which happens every day for people, to when we send out a gift for our clients to drive business, it needs to be what we call an artifact, which means it has potential to be used daily uh, for years or decades to come. And hopefully, in many cases with the knives and those things, they actually get passed down to future generations because it's one of those items that people use every day for generations at their family gatherings or their bar mitzvahs and their their communions and their Easter's and 4th of July. Like it becomes woven into like I've literally seen people like in divorces fight over the knife set. (laughs) And that sounds insane. Yeah. Yeah. But it's because it because of what that simple practical item represents. And so I mean, we have, I can talk to you about all the different little details, but the personalization is one of those things where if you could just stop throwing your logo on crap, when you give it out to people, like you'd be in the top 5% of gift givers because almost everybody ruins the gift with the logo. Well, I, and I, I'm sorry, go ahead, Julie. 
Now, I was just going to say, I mean, do you find, and we're thinking of financial advisors here, I'm sure this applies to everybody, but um, for for many, I think the key is what is that gift? Like they understand that they that gift giving is good, and now it's about what makes an effective gift. Um, but do you also find a lot of professionals have to understand the, the need to give gifts in the first place? Yeah, well, I think that um, people... Uh, it's been woven into our Western society to do things at like the holidays and yeah. so, or at birthdays or Christmas. Uh, our, one of our rules is no ABC gifters, which just is like nails on a chalkboard for most advisors because they've been doing ABC gifting for 10, 20, 30 years, which they give gifts or cards at anniversaries. They send birthday gifts and they always do something at Christmas, which is all it's like the same most predictable playbook on the planet of sending gifts during expected times out of obligation, giving the gift after a referral dumb move. And people are like, why wouldn't you say thank you for a referral? And I'm like, you should write a handwritten note and say thank you. But everybody, especially financial advisors, wealth managers, family offices, they say they're in the relationship building business, not transactional. When you give a gift after a referral, what did you just turn that referral into? Oh, sure. A transaction. Yeah, a transaction, exactly. It's, that's, it's a, that's, a really interesting, that's a really interesting point. It's a tit for tat. And so yeah, your, your client or referral partner isn't giving, the gi- isn't giving the referral because of the gift. They can afford their own gift. But if you could take your top, as an advisor, you could take your top 50 or your top 100 relationships that are clients and reinvest a percentage of profit back into them and do it at times that it's not expected and realize, I think most advisors, they do it because they think they have to. They don't realize that if they did it well and they did it strategic and they did it at times that nobody did it and they did it in ways that a lot of the advisors that are out there, it's a bunch of married white dudes at gifting to a bunch of married white dudes. Well, <laughs> if you would start including the inner circle, the assistant of these executives and business owners, if you would start including their spouses in the gifts and not just do bourbon and golf and cigars and round, you know, all that kind of stuff that's normal, it's old boys club stuff. So a lot of the gifting that we do, 80% of my $400,000 budget, and I don't care if your budget's you know, four grand a year or 40 grand a year or $4 million a year, these principles still apply. But if people would focus on including the inner circle, so re- the reason that the stupid knives still work and we still send out my $400,000 budget, 300 grand of it was knives. And people are like, you sent $300,000 in knives? And I'm like, yep, I sent it to pro sports executives. I sent it to CEOs of billion-dollar companies because guess what? They're all married. They all have families. They all break bread. Even in 2019, people still eat. Um, and they, most kitchens are getting bigger because that's where everybody hosts. So a lot of the things that we do are very counterintuitive in, in any industry. And what we do for advisors is the exact same thing that we do for the Chicago Cubs. It's treating human beings like human beings and not tying everything to some sort of business theme or business element. It's it's tying into the humanity of people. Yeah. And when you do that, it's amazing the things that happen. So you, you've brought – there are a couple things I want to follow up with you on. One, one is that you've brought up that the number, how much you spend on on uh, gifts every year. But let, let's let's put that in context. So – yeah. So for an advisor thinking about this, you know, what, what proportion of the revenue or what proportion of the, the net income, you know, does, would that kind of translate into? Yeah. So, so first off, if anybody ever wants to have a conversation around FINRA, SEC rules and regulations, because people, you know, when I spoke yeah, at, we're getting uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. MDRT top of the table. Like I covered that right from the stage. I'm like, I'm sure everybody in here is like, well, what about 
I'm like, we can have a conversation and walk you through how you're able to invest in relationships and still stay within the rules. But let's just take the rules out of the, the equation for a second. Any client that we're working with, whether they're a solopreneur or whether they're a billion dollar business, they should be reinvesting a percentage of net profits back into the, so the clients are really buying the gifts themselves. Like this isn't like create a new budget. This is take, and for us, it's five to 15% of net profit from your business. Okay. Not, I don't care what your revenue is. I don't care what your gross is. What's your net reinvested back in to keep the client, to grow the client. Cause most of the time you don't have all their assets and to, ins- this is the secret sauce. When you can inspire them and most people have passively loyal clients, they have a loyalty problem and they right. don't think they do because they have clients that stick around, but ask yourself how many of your clients are going out of their way to refer you. And that will tell you whether or not you have loyalty or not. And what I call active loyalty. And so when you can inspire them to ad- advocate on your behalf, that doesn't happen on accident. That happens because they've been inspired to want to reciprocate. And that's the secret sauce of what we do. I had the Cleveland Indians refer me to 38 teams in one day, one-on-one. That happened after seven years of gifting, of loving on them once a quarter. And so, and that, that, that brings up something that, that we also have to coach advisors on periodically, which is not just doing a gift as a transaction, but having that transaction mentality. I, I, I think there's so, some advisors really need to get used to the idea of you've got to make deposits into that bank for a while before you get a withdrawal. You, you know, they, they, a lot of people still think of, of those actions as, as um, transactional, as opposed to these things are not perfectly linked up, right? You know, they're going to refer you and that's not necessarily going to be connected to those activities like gift giving or yep. thanking them or those kinds of things. But, but, you, you, but you, brought, you brought it up, so let's just deal with it. So let's talk about the FINRA regulations and the, you know, the, the FINRA and SEC $100 a year gifting limit. So what, what's, what, what's, what have you found in dealing with financial advisors in, in regard to um, uh, how you how you um, engage them, how you, han- how, you, how you handle that, how you, yeah. how you, how you act with, you know, how you, how you deal with that guideline. Well, first off, it's $100 uh, per client. So if you have a husband and wife, which most people do, that's two, that's $100 per person. That's $200 per couple. Okay. Um, and one of the reasons that advisors hire us is we don't make any money on the gifts. I charge a very healthy consulting, coaching, execution fee. And then we go and use our buying power to buy millions of dollars of gifts and we sell the gifts to the advisor at wholesale at our actual cost. And so it allows for somebody. Now, you, I, I can't have somebody come and say, I want to buy Rolexes for everybody. Can you charge me $50 for a Rolex? Like that doesn't right. work. <laughs> right. But it does allow you to go and, and leverage buying power and pay somebody like us to actually execute the, you know, it's hard when you're going to send, you know, 50 gifts out to 50 different people and have them be packaged well with handwritten notes and all the little details. We do all that for the, for the advisor. And so, and they are able to buy a nicer gift, you know, twice a year, typically at times they're not expecting it. And so, you know, $200 goes a lot further when you're buying, you know, at wholesale versus when you're trying to go out and, you know, buy from Harry and David or some company that, you know, has consumables in the same crappy gift basket that everybody sends or bottle of wine. And so a lot of people will hire us to, to basically allow them to do nicer gifts more frequently, take it all off their plate and focus on the things only they can do. And so we're, we play within that $200 per year regulation really, really well. Um, because I, like I said before, it's not just the item itself. It's 
did you personally engrave it? Was it packaged well? Is it something that they didn't right, even know right. existed? Did you include their spouse? Um, all of those little things are just as important, if not more important, than the item itself. And, so and when you go ahead, no, go ahead, Julie. It's your turn. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you, if we can talk a bit about, I think tailoring the gift. So we're talking, presumably, talking about finding a uh, an incredibly unique gift. Um, that that could be sent to multiple um, clients here. So, so how do you tackle the idea of tailoring a gift uh, with the idea that there are many different clients receiving potentially the same gift? Yeah. Well, what, what I found is that I can send, so the knives are a great instance. I've, I've had literally days where I've sent 100 knife sets to 100 different people in 100 cities. But because it showed up on some random Monday in the middle of April, and based upon it being personally engraved to them and making sure that their spouse's name was included and spelled right and their family name was on it and maybe their their favorite quote or maybe their favorite sports team was engraved on there somewhere and it was packaged well and the handwritten note that went with it was really thoughtful. Um, and the fact of like tying in their entire family with, you know, with what they're going to be doing for the next, you know, 30 years, which is breaking bread and celebrating and, and those sorts of things. It's the little details around it. So if I'm going to send something to somebody, the other thing is when you're dealing with affluent clients, nobody needs more stuff. Like if you look at most people's homes, like the book Essentialism, and there's all these different things out there. Like, you know, at my house, there's like this box that's constantly filled that's going to goodwill. Like we're constantly purging. But when you send something to somebody, like I, I use a luggage tag as a great instance. Most people, when they send out a luggage tag, they spend five bucks on it. And it's this cheap, crappy imitation thing from China. When I send a luggage tag to somebody, it's a $75 luggage tag. I would rather get a $75 luggage tag than a $100 watch. And the reason is, is a $100 watch for most affluent people is a significant downgrade. You're sent, right. You spent $100 and you're proud of the Fossil watch, but your clients are all wearing Breitlings and Rolexes and Omegas or whatever. It doesn't, it's like you're proud of it, but you didn't send a best in class item in that particular category. Whereas if you sent all of your clients a $75 luggage tag, that's probably something they're never going to go buy for themselves. But most of your clients are affluent. They travel. They, they would love something like that. It's a fun little detail. It's a fun little thing that will actually get used. And so I see a lot of people waste money on, well, we want to send headphones to people. And I'm like, you're going to send Bose headphones to a bunch of dudes that already have Bose headphones. You feel good about it. Or you're going to send Apple to a bunch of people that already have Apple stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so finding a category... That's one of the reasons the knives work or if I'm going to send leather goods, I love sending like, you know, a $150 leather folio that's handmade with their initials on it because they already have a stack of folios that they got at conferences with logos on them, imitation crappy pieces that are 30 bucks. I send somebody a $150 one and it's more effective to me than spending $500 on a watch because it's a category that most people have a cheap version of. And when I can go best in class, world class, and make it something that's a practical luxury that they'll use, that's personalized to them, now all of a sudden magic happens and they'll actually use it. So even somebody that's worth seven or eight figures, if you pick the category correctly and do all the details well, that's where you get the home run. So how much would that, uh, that gift that you select change from one advisor to to the next. I mean, what is involved in sort of understanding who their clients are and what really makes them tick? In most cases, we have our top 10 list that I could go to 100 different advisors and 98 out of the 100 advisors, I'm able to plug and play mm -hmm. 
our giftology system. Like we have a recipe. People are like, oh, I want this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, is the gift for you or is the gift for your clients? Do you want the, do you want the recipe for Coca-Cola or do you want to, are you the gift expert? And oftentimes it, 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 it pisses people off for a little bit. And then they realize like, I've been thinking about gifts for 17 seconds. Most people have a tendency to shop with their own eyes versus thinking about the client and their spouse and their family and thinking about like longevity and cost per impression. Like how often do I want the client thinking about me? I give them a really cool gift, but if it only gets used once a year, I'm only getting one impression out of it. I want to give something to somebody that they're thinking about me daily, if not, you know, at least weekly, if not daily. So a lot of the things that we're doing for advisors, they're the exact same gifts that I'm using for my manufacturing clients. It's the exact same because we're tying into people's humanity. Now there are, there's always anomalies. There's always instances where it's like, you know, an advisor might say, I only work with widows and I only work with this type of clientele. Well, we can customize it to that, but oftentimes the foundational gifting that we're doing where you're just trying to stay top of mind, build some, some loyalty and some trust and, um, and give them something that's practical and unique and trying to what I call mass customization. Like if you want to do a, you know, like we've done some crazy stuff like Brooks Brothers, right? $7,000 worth of clothes waiting for somebody when they went into a hotel room. Those are awesome and those are fun. But they're not oftentimes from a budget perspective or from an execution perspective. Everybody wants to start with the Super Bowl. And I'm like, how about you just learn to like throw the, the football and catch it a few times? Right. How about yeah. we just learn how to get a few base hits? Then if, in, year, in, in years three and four, if you want to go and do like the crazy one-off, like hit this, you know, the home, home run in, this, in, the, uh, in the World Series, like we can do that. But let's build a foundation first. And most people don't want to start there. They want to start the other, other end. And it, it doesn't make sense financially. And once you've done that, like, what do you do after you've like won the Super Bowl? It's like, what's your next gift going to be? Well, and like, and, there's only yeah. it's only downhill from and, that. And you've you've you sort of threw it out there, but I I I want to highlight it for a second. You know, that seven thousand dollars worth of Brook Brothers th- is a great story that's in your book. And the two things from it: first, everybody needs to buy the book and, and to read that story because it's fabulous. And the other thing is that you know the punchline of that is you ended up not actually spending any of that money on it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so that, we're, we're not going to give it away. We're not going to tell people the story because they need to go buy the book and read it because it's a great story. But that's you talk about the power of gifting and things. It's like you you went out and got seven thousand dollars worth of stuff, but you didn't actually in the end have to pay for it. It cost me but zero. The, but the thing, yeah, it cost me yeah, zero. exactly. And so the, the thing I want, but the the other thing I want to bring out is we're talking about getting really nice things and personalizing them to the client. But one of the one of the points that you've made in 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 talk in in your speaking and in, in the book and something that I heard on your uh, interview with Michael Port was you know these things you know the, a really effective gift doesn't even necessarily have to be really nice or really uh, really effective if it's personalized to them specifically. So in Michael's case, he likes boating and you know spends a lot of time on his boat, and you gave him a gift that was you know it was a coffee mug or something like that, but it was personalized to his boat. And so he used it all the time. And and it, it didn't cost very much, but it really made a big impression. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell people even that are working with Fortune 500 companies, if you can't buy somebody a pencil or a cup of coffee, what you can do is write the nicest handwritten note on the planet and go read it to them. And your your gratitude and, and happiness will go up and so will theirs. Oftentimes, the note is just as important as what the item is. The item is just the tangible trigger that reminds them. For Michael, we, we got like a, it was like a 40 or $50 watt, you know, like tumbler um, and knew that, you know, his boat was really important to him. The boat actually caught on fire and they, they lost everything. 
and and so uh, oh. so he you know gets a new boat and still the I, still the same name if I remember right. But we personalized the gift to you know it was a, it was a cool tumbler. I mean it was like you know beautiful you know but it's still forty fifty bucks. It's not like it was a Rolex. But the fact of taking the time to figure out the boat's name and personalizing it and and making it so like if he's on the boat or even not on the boat, it's it's obviously if he's into boating, that's a a positive memory every time he thinks about the boat. And so yeah, we personalized the uh, the tumbler to uh, to him into the boat, and you know obviously a guy that can afford his own tumbler, um, you know he's super successful and done amazingly yeah, well. Exactly. Well, that, that's, he's a perfect example of that because he's very successful. He can afford whatever he wants to buy. And so making a gift meaningful does not translate into a price tag, right? It translates, no. it's, it's, it translates into the, the personal thought that went into it. Yep. The thoughtfulness, the energy to go into it, the, to make it um, all about them versus, you know, uh, all about yourself is uh, it's a hard thing to break from a habit perspective, but uh but yeah, it's uh, Michael's great, and that that's a perfect example of it. It's not the dollar amount. It's it's definitely um, it's the thoughtfulness, the timing, all of those sorts of things that uh, that make it impactful. Which I think is, an, I mean, it's a particularly important point for this industry because I mean, one of the challenges I think um, we would all agree in the industry that we have is that many advisors aren't investing enough money uh, enough a uh, high enough proportion of their revenue back into never mind uh, client appreciation or whatever we want to call this and and marketing so getting them to a higher dollar point it can be can be tough but but this idea i think of making something really really personal uh, and the note, I guess, I guess the note's an interesting thing because you could technically send the same gift to several different people. It would be meaningful to several different people, but that that little bit of personalization must make a huge difference. The note is the note is part of the secret sauce. I won't send out a gift myself personally or for our clients unless a handwritten note can come with it. If it feels like it's automated from Amazon or some autopilot thing. It, uh, it doesn't resonate. At the end of the day, people, people are like, oh, I want to sign it from the Jones team. I'm like, the team didn't mm-hmm. send the gift. Like a relationship takes place between two human beings. So the gift has to come from a, with a note and it has to be signed by one person. Because that's like people don't buy from companies, they buy from individuals. And in financial services, that's more prevalent than ever. Like there's a million different, what is there, 470,000 financial advisors or people that call themselves financial advisors. And they all speak the same buzzwords and language. The gifting is one of those areas and how you show personalization is one of the few areas that you can show that you actually walk your talk, you actually do invest in your relationships and that you are different because everybody says they're different. But, but yeah, I don't see very many people saying, wow, I netted, you know, three quarters of a million dollars last year or a quarter million bucks last year. Like, what am I going to reinvest back into the relationships that actually provided me that opportunity to make that, that money and that revenue? Most people have a scarcity mindset, unfortunately, and it becomes self-perpetuating. They're like, oh, I don't understand. I offer great service. Why am I not getting referrals? Well, what are you doing that shows people that you're different? That's not just talk. And it's rare for people to walk their talk. Interesting. So go ahead. Julie. I was just going to say, so if you, I know you talk about having a gifting plan. I'd, I'd love to, to maybe break that down a little now. I mean, I, I it's, I think a, a great step, as you said, you've got the book, which maps this out, which will be a, a great resource for, for advisors as a starting point. But what are the components of that plan? What do they need to think about? 
the first thing is who I, I see a lot of people that try to treat all of their clients the same. Um, they're like, Hey, I got, you know, my book of business is a hundred or 500 people or whatever else. And they send the same card and the same birthday cake and the same, whatever out to all these people. For us, it's narrowing down and focusing um, the who is just as important. Like people want to start with, what are you going to send? I'm like, I don't care what the gift you're going to send. If you don't have identified the right relationships in their inner circle, then it doesn't matter because you're going to waste your money on sending it out to the wrong people. Um, so identifying who the top 20 to 30% of your relationships are that are likely producing 80% of your revenue and investing all of your resources there. I also see people investing in relationships that they don't even like. Like if you don't like working with a client, why would you want to? <laughs> why would you want to duplicate them? Yeah, they might have a lot of assets under management with you or whatever else, but they're gonna. You know, do you want to work with a bunch of a holes? Then no, then don't duplicate them. Take them off That's the hilarious. list. Um, and then I, I see a, a big gap in people understanding. Like you know, there's a lot of lawyers and accounts that and other people that could be sending you business. And how are you? Are you waiting for referrals to happen with those 10 or 20 people? Or are you being proactive in building those relationships and inspiring them to be loyal to you or inspiring them to, to go out of their way? Because they have a lot of people they could refer the deals to. And if you got you know 10 or 20 referral sources out there that are going out of their way to advocate for you, your pipeline would probably be full. But most people are not willing to invest in those relationships. They'll send the $200 Ruth Chris gift card after a referral, but that completely negates what you're really trying to accomplish, which is building a trust and a relationship. So for me, the who is way more important than the what. And identifying that, that list and having the details of kids' names and pets' names and spouses' names and all that kind of dialed in. And then it's figuring out a math equation. Like what are the, those relationships? What's your business net? And what percentage are you going to reinvest so you can be proactive with it? Um, and then laying out like, hey, I'm going to do this client event in person here. And I see a lot of people when they do their client events, it's the same like, hey, we're going to do a wine tasting. Great. So does every advisor in your city. How are you going to make that wine tasting a once in a lifetime experience? How are you going to make it something that they tell their friends and are begging to bring their friends that are also referrals to come to it because it's so special? I see so many people have events that are lame. Like when I do a wine tasting, I did one in Nashville last fall. Like I brought in the, the America's first master Psalm to come in. His name's Eddie Osterland. We flew him in and he created a food and wine experience that even people that were Psalms that were in the room were like, I'm so honored to be here. I wish I could have brought in this person, this person, this person to this event. It was only for 20 people. And people were clamoring to get in. And now there's still buzz about it six months later. So you, I see a lot of people doing the same dog and pony dinner shows, dinners and steaks and you know golf. And like, how do you make that, that client experience? Because it's not all just about tangible gifts. There's time for FaceTime. But I see people doing a lot of vanilla stuff versus going all in on one or two things, whether it's gifts or whether it's experiences, to where people are begging to be a part of it versus feeling obligated to come because they've been invited. That's interesting. Well, so let me ask you just sort of a logistical question. Yeah, we, we, we're trained to do things at, at end of year around the holidays and those kinds of things. And I, and, uh, it's a really, it's a really good point that you don't want to do that because you want to stand out and you want to do something meaningful to the relationship. What, what should you do at the end of the year? Let's assuming, let's assume you've got a gifting strategy and you've put it on a calendar and you've mapped it all out. Um, what, if anything, should you do at the end of the year? Nothing. Okay. 
You should be the Grinch. <laughs> you should. Um, and I, and I, I know that sounds cold. I mean, personally, like I have three daughters, they're eight, six and three. Like, I mean, we did six different parties and, you know, Santa gatherings. And I mean, like, person, like I love Christmas from a faith perspective, like, Christmas is, you know, like really important to my Christian faith. And like, I love celebrating and we do Advent every night. And, but from a business perspective, nothing. And, and the reason is, is that people are eating and drinking themselves to death. They're feeling obligated to go all these parties. They're stressed out with family and travel and personal gift buying. I, I don't, my budget for 400 grand, I don't spend one dime between Thanksgiving and Christmas, not one dime. And I own a gifting company. Interesting. The other, the other 11 months out of the year, is when you say thank you and show gratitude, and that's when it'll show up in matters. Now, I'm not saying you can't like send a note to people, but with Christmas cards, like it's just non—it's just noise. And as a you know, like if you're really looking for an ROI to your relationship building and your marketing, have your party. If you want to do a party, make it a blowout party and do it in the middle of February when nobody has anything going on. It's cold as heck in the Midwest or whatever. Like, do it at a time when people are available. When people are like, oh. I can't wait to go to that party in February versus, wow, I got 13 different things I got to do in December. And so when it comes to gifts, it's the same way. If a gift shows up, even a lame gift showing up in the middle of May is better than an awesome gift showing up in the middle of December. And it's just because as human beings, when the conference table is ready to collapse from all the candy, nuts, chocolates, wine, bourbon, whatever, <laughs> you're re-gifting it fat. Like you're just, it's just overkill. And yeah. so if you want to be strategic with it and actually get a 10x ROI, put a dollar into the ATM and get $10 back out, from a gifting perspective, you have to do it at times that are unexpected. The timing, to me, is just as important as what you're sending. And so the, the Christmas, holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, all that kind of stuff, if you could just avoid that and do it at times that are unexpected, you would, once again, you'll be in the top probably 2% of gift givers because everybody follows tradition. And if everybody's doing something, that's the time to zag. If you're an entrepreneur and you really want to get an ROI, now, if you work for corporate America and you just want to check the box, great, go do it. But you're not going to get any sort of impact from it. You're just going to feel good because you said, hey, I did this, but there's no real impact to it long term. Right. Sure. Well, and that's that's not our audience. So uh, <clears throat> I, th I, th I think this and, and in, in terms of the timing, I, you know, in, in the book, you, you you make reference to plan spontaneity. And I'll just highlight that, you know, you talk about doing things, things at unexpected times. You can plan all this out for the whole year. Um, and for you, it can be perfectly planned and, and carefully timed. But to the client, it's unexpected. And so it's a surprise. So, yeah, um, that you, you can you can have that that planned spontaneity that you talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Be, being proactive is huge. That's not, I'm not saying yeah. wait to do something. I'm saying lay out the next 12 to 36 right. months in advance right. by yeah. far. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, so just in the way of wrapping up, John, you know, if, if what, um, as people digest this and they go through your book and figure out what their gifting strategy is going to look like, you know, what would be the, the one thing you think advisors should do today to get started on this? Don't buy the book. Um, I, I have a thing that we take all of our clients through when we do a loyalty planning session, which we offer for a lot of our uh, tribe for free to go through that plan. But before they even sign up for the loyalty planning session, they should go. There's a 10 worst gifts to avoid giving. And a lot of times when people get that PDF, they're like, oh, my gosh, it's like my entire playbook. I do every single one of those things for the last 25 years. <laughs> like it's embarrassing. But if, if yeah. your tribe wants to go download it for free. Um, they go to the giver's edge, 
thegiversedge.com. They can download the 10 worst gifts to avoid giving if they want to be referable. Um, and from there, you know, you give that to your marketing team. And if you just avoided those 10 things, you'd be in the top 10%, you know, top 10% of gift givers. If you want to learn more, like we, twice a week, we publish our, our kind of tips and tricks and behind the scenes of what we're doing. Um, but that 10 worst gifts to avoid giving is a great place to start. If you love that, and you love some of the things that we send after that, you're happy to go, you know, to Amazon and, you know, buy the book and, and dive into it. It's a quick 90 minute read in it. A lot of people, when they read it, they're like, John, you, like, is there a Giftology 2 coming out? Because it seems like you gave everything away in the first book. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, it's our entire playbook. There's no like, you know, but wait, there's more. Um, it's our entire system that we use for all of our clients for the last 18 years is in the book. But uh, but starting oh, with Giver's great. Edge is a great place to go and, uh, and start. Okay, so... And and so um where, so where else is there is there any place else that people can we'll put the giver's edge uh, in the in the show notes and uh, is there any place else where people can find you and keep track of what you're doing? Uh, I mean I'm on Twitter um, but I it's uh, I think I don't know we're up to twenty five or thirty thousand followers there um, but uh, so Twitter you know all the social media stuff and there's a bunch of websites but uh, to keep things simple the giver's edge dot com is a great place to to start with and then if they want to follow us on Twitter. Um, we do publish our thoughts daily on there as well. Perfect. Well, that's great. Well, John, this is such great uh, advice for financial advisors. And, and, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.